Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Alex Coogan-Reeves. In the programme this week, we talk cricket with the Black Caps and their new bowling coach. We catch up with Paul Hanare after his new coaching appointment and hear from Bowden Barrett about the Hurricanes' hot start to the season. We also look at the changing way New Zealanders are participating in sports and check in with Baseball New Zealand as they embark on a global search for new players. The West Indies have talked up their unpredictability in winning history at the Cricket World Cup in the build-up to the knockout quarter-final against New Zealand in Wellington. The winner will advance to a semi-final against South Africa in Auckland on Tuesday. Expectation has risen with the Black Caps' unbeaten run at the tournament, but it counts for little in the knockout stages, as the cricket correspondent Stephen Houston reports. Crowd going mad. Cross to Hendrick again. He's going in for a dot. England all out for 194 or 51 overs. So West Indies have won by 92 runs and deserve to become holders of the Prudential World Cup for the second time. The West Indies have twice won the Cricket World Cup, but the current side's a far cry from the 1979 team which boasted the likes of Viv Richards, Clive Lloyd, Andy Roberts and Michael Holding. But while it may lack the quality of yesteryear, there's no lack of confidence before their quarter-final against New Zealand and Wellington tomorrow, despite only scraping into the final eight. New Zealand qualified with two games to spare, while the West Indies lurched into the knockout phase of the tournament when they beat United Arab Emirates in a must-win final pool match. The West Indies batsman Darren Sammy's confident, though, about their chances, saying they thrive in elimination matches. The more relaxed that we are, the more clearer we are, we West Indians. So we know within our group, once we do the basics, the things we know we could do well, we're unstoppable. We've been very inconsistent, that's a fact. But it's a knockout game. And if we put all the good things we know we could do right, no team will beat us. The Black Cabs coach Mike Hesson's all too aware that an underperforming West Indies side will be no walkover. They're dangerous. Um, you know, when they, you think that they're down, they, they come out and one of their players plays an explosive innings or, or bowls a spell that um, can take you out of the game. So that, you know, sometimes it's easier to play a side that's a bit more predictable, um, whereas, you know, the West Indies are set up on their day, they're, they're exceptional. The New Zealand greats are Richard Hadley, while impressed with the Black Caps' form and the confidence they're exhibiting, is loath to predict a winner saying the knockout rounds of the tournament are a totally different proposition to pool play. It comes back to seven hours of cricket. This is four years of planning preparation to get to seven hours of cricket. And if you're good enough, you get another seven hours. Good enough again, you get to a final, another seven hours, and potentially you can be crowned world champions. Get it wrong, drop a catch, top order fails, the bowlers don't get it right, the fielding is not as good as it has been. It can all be over in that seven-hour period. 
The former West Indies fast bowler and now bowling coach for the side, Sir Kirtley Ambrose, believes if they can grab a couple of early wickets, the New Zealand middle order could be left exposed. As long as we can get into the New Zealand batters early, I mean, someone like a McCollum, who's a dangerous player, we all know that, he's going to be key. If you can play him out early, get into the middle order, try to put them on some pressure. It's not going to be an easy game. We have been a little bit inconsistent, but as Richard said, it all boils into seven hours of cricket. While the Black Caps will get plenty of home crowd support, veteran spinner Dan Vittori believes having played their entire tournament at home will prove to be a bigger benefit as it's helped maintain the team's equilibrium. The ability for us to, I suppose, wander around and, and know what to do, um, to have places to go to, so we can find a, um, places to relax makes a huge difference. Whereas normally you're, you're cooped up in your hotel and, and you're just a little bit anxious to play the game because there's not a lot, not a lot else to do. Um, and this time around I think we've found ways to just to get away from cricket and it's been um, um, a good thing, I think. Win tomorrow and Dan Vittori will head to Auckland with the rest of the Black Caps for its semi-final against South Africa and the chance to become the first New Zealand side to reach a World Cup final. Lose and the curtain will come down on the international career of Vittori, who's New Zealand's most capped test and one-day player. Meanwhile, the Black Caps have named the former England all-rounder Dimitri Mascarenas as their bowling coach for the upcoming tour to England. He will replace Shane Bond on an interim basis with the former New Zealand seamer off to take up a contract in the Indian Premier League. Stephen Hewson spoke to Mascarenas, who admits he's got big shoes to fill. Oh, look, they're huge, aren't they? Um, he's done a, uh, an amazing job over the last few years with, with not only the, the guys in the in the team at the moment, the, the Bolts, the Southies, but also the fringe guys and, and getting them up to speed. And, and you know, look, he's created a, a pretty special bowling cartel. And, uh, look, for me, just to be involved in that setup would be pretty special. And, and hopefully, um, you know, if I can help improve them, like a little couple of percent here and a couple of percent there, and, and we'll go from there. And, and, and hopefully, you know, I can add some value. What is it that you're going to bring? Because, I mean, people will obviously look at it and they look at Shane Bond and see he's a specialist fast bowler. You're playing yep. background. You weren't a specialist fast bowler. No, absolutely. No, I was, well, I was an all-rounder, a bowling all-rounder, I'd say. And, um, look, like like has um, been mentioned, I've, I've got the job for the England series. And, look, having spent 19 years playing over there, county cricket, uh, played on all the grounds, have great knowledge of the grounds and the wickets and played with and against most of the players in, in the current England setup as well. Um, I think that will stand me in good stead for, for when we get over there, for plans and obviously um, help for the bowlers, but also I can I think I can add some value with help um, with our batters against their bowlers. How much involvement in, the, in that coaching side of things have you had with the Black Caps? I mean, obviously you've got your role at Otago, but, but have you sort of been in that Black Caps environment with, with coaching clinics, etc.? No, nothing. Nothing as yet, no. I've been, uh, since I moved here in uh, to Dunedin in September uh, to take over the role at Otago, um, I've just been really concentrating on that. Um, obviously, as part of my job is to create international cricketers for the Black Caps, whether it be test match cricketers or one-day international cricketers. And look, I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of the guys who have been in and out of the team, um, like Nathan McCullum at the start of the season, uh, and more recently, um, Rutherford, Wagner, Mark Craig. Um, so look, I've been um, working really hard with those players. Um, I don't know what's required of them. And so yeah, for, you know, going to the England series will be a bit of an eye. It'll be different. Um, you know, being a, on the coaching side of an international 
in the, on the international stage will be um, you know pretty exciting for me. How much of a relationship have you got with Mike Hesson? Yeah, pretty good actually. Um, I was lucky enough to play under Hess. Um, my first year over here playing for Otago, he was the coach of Otago then. Um, so we we pretty, formed a pretty good relationship back then. Um, and yeah, we look we we talk often, talk about um, the players in and out of the Black Caps and and what's going on down here. So yeah, pretty good with Hess. What have you made of the the World Cup and the way things have unfolded for not only the Black Caps but but generally? Ah, uh, look, yeah, it's been pretty good. Uh, look, the top teams have have risen to the top. They've, they've topped their groups, top two in each group. Um, it's going to be tough. All the quarterfinals look look pretty tough on paper, and um, look, it's anyone's game to pick. But um, look, I'm back on the black caps all the way. And what about England? You've you're obviously got uh, some affinity there. What the fallout yep. that's gone on? What what have what have you made of that? Oh, look, they were. Look, let's be honest. They were they were very disappointing. Um, they'd be hugely disappointed to be at home right now. I'd say. Um, look, they just didn't play. Um, the brand of cricket that, that everyone else has been playing at the moment and, and unfortunately, you know, they didn't perform when it mattered and, and that's why they're out of the tournament. Do you see your coaching future as being here in New Zealand? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, that's why that's pretty much why I moved here. Um, opportunities arise um, for coaches all over, but, you know, my, I got my first opportunity here and, and to be involved now, to have another opportunity to go higher with the Black will be sensational, albeit it's only for the for the England tour um, so far. So hopefully I can do a good job and and they'll and fit into part of their setup and, and they'll want me around. Mm. Yeah, how how much pressure does that put on you, knowing it's just a, a one off situation at present? Yeah, it's obviously there's, there's always pressure. Um, I just got to make sure I go in there and and be myself and not try too hard and, and absolutely not try to change the guys because they're going absolutely great guns. So it's just. What what can I add? And and once I get into the setup, I'll, I suppose I'll, I'll understand more um, the value that I can add to the to the different guys, and and hopefully that will be enough to you know get me a permanent gig. That's the Black Caps' new bowling coach, Dimitri Mascarenas. The rapid rise up the coaching ranks has continued for Paul Hanare after he was named to take over as head coach of the New Zealand men's basketball team. The former Tall Blacks and Breakers guard has been named to take over from Ninad Vucinic after serving as his assistant during last year's World Cup. He beat out fellow assistant Piero Cameron for the role and his first major challenge will be to lead the side against Australia in the Oceania Championships. It came just a week after he helped coach the Breakers to a dramatic NBL Championship win and says it's taken a while to sink in. It's been a pretty big week, obviously. Um, I was sort of sitting at home on a couch last night, and I was just like, "Oh, I said to my wife, I said, eh, I'm ready for this week to end." Um, obviously, been two great things, but um, yeah, you just um, you're coming from that championship and, and finding out this news has been pretty special. And you've just got a, a massive challenge um, coming up with Australia. It doesn't get much tougher. No, it doesn't really. You know, Australia, um, you know, they're a true basketball power with the, with the talent they're bringing through, um, with the leagues that their players are playing in, um, and the experiences that they're getting throughout the year are, are world class right now. So, uh, you know, they're going to be a, a tough ask, you know, whoever they put on the floor um, and whether they have everyone available or not, you know, that's yet to be seen. But um, whoever they put on the floor are going to be a, a really tough outfit. But as I said earlier, you know, we. We always back ourselves against you know, whoever we're playing, and, and I think um, as a Tall Blacks outfit, whenever we're playing Australia, 
um, we're able to elevate our games to a, to a new level and we're going to need to be able to do that to, um, to want to beat them in this series. And when it comes to availability for your guys, when do you start making the calls and getting in their ears about committing? Yeah, already already started making making calls, but um, you know that that process will play out over the next couple of weeks. And um, you know, it's really well. First things first is you know for us to be able to finalise our schedule um, and what that means in terms of you know camps and trials and um, and tours and warm up games and things like that. Once we you know really lock that in, um, then we can start talking to these guys about what that time commitment is and um, and the timing of everything there. And I guess it helps having that experience with the team through the World Cup, you already know most of those guys that are over there and they know what you're about? Yeah, I've got a, a pretty good relationship with, with everyone that's sort of um, been a part of the, the, the program for the last couple of years. Um, yeah, and there's, there's, there's guys that haven't been a part of the program, um, you know, some of the young guys as well that, um, that we want to still bring in and, and we want guys to, to keep fighting and scrapping for, the, for their place on the team. So, um, you know, again, we'll, we'll come up with a, with a list of guys um, that we really want to target for, for those camps in, in July, um, and, and then we'll go from there. And presumably Stephen Adams is uh, pretty high on your priorities in terms of hopefully convincing him to play some international? Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, there's, there's no secret that, um, that he'd help our team. Um, but again, it, it's about making sure that everybody's on the same page. You know, Basketball New Zealand and OKC are... Um, you know, communicating well, which they've um, you know done a good job of, of building those uh, relationships, um, and then for you know myself and the coaching staff to, to build a relationship with, with Steve. Um, I mean, that's that's the first process, really, um, rather than just sort of you know going out in the media and saying you know we'd love for, for Steve to play. I think there needs to be um, you know some real real communication between between coach and player uh, with all our players, but obviously with uh, with Steve in particular. And I guess looking at potentially being undersized again, sort of like you were at the World Cup, if, if he doesn't play with Pledger, likely going to be out as well? Yeah, we've been undersized for the, ex- the whole existence of the Tall Blacks program, so it's, it's nothing new for us. Um, you know, if anything, it's, it's made us better prepared for, for us not to have big guys on board. So um, you know, we'll go into the series with the best um, available team that we have um, and, and we'll make do with what we have. And have you spoken to Kirk yet? I guess um, a guy that you played a lot of international basketball, he must be pretty happy for you. Yeah, I spoke to Kirk um, yesterday morning and had a really good conversation with him. He was, um, he's in, I think he's in Real Madrid getting ready for a game today. But uh, yeah, he was, he was, he was pretty pumped as, as are most of the boys for me, which is you know, it, it means a lot. You know, when you when you your peers and um, and you know past teammates and. Um, and players that you've coached um, are that happy for you. So it's been a pretty special couple of days, and um, and you know really I guess honoured to have the support of those guys as well. And what sort of indications did he give about how much longer he wants to keep playing international? Yeah, that's, that's a tough one for him. You know, he's got some um, some decisions to make um, over the next little while. Um, I had a you know, a feeling before I made the phone call that he probably wouldn't play for the Toolbox again. Um, but again, that's something that we've got to talk through, um, again, find out what the time commitments are, um, figure out you know, how it works best for him, um, and then be able to make, a, I guess, a, a good decision from there. So you still feel it's unlikely that he'd be playing? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's tough to say either way. Um, you know, he's obviously concentrating on his season over in Spain right now, um, and then once he's done with that, he's, he's heading back to the States with his family, um, and then, um, yeah... Obviously, obviously, I'd love to, to have him as a part of the program, um, but he's at that 
the top age now where he's got to decide, you know, if he continues to play professionally, um, you know, does he um, need, need, need that extra time off or time with the family um, to be able to, you know, keep playing for another couple of years. So we'll, we'll just continue to, to communicate with him um, and I will personally as well and just let him know what, what our commitments are later on in the year. And you've got one more assistant coach to confirm. You've already got an idea, presumably, of who that's going to be. Yeah, um, yeah, I won't say any names now, but obviously, you know, going into the the application process and interview process, you sort of, you know, you've got to have a plan um, in place. So, um, you know, there's there's a, um, someone in particular that, that I have in mind, but yeah, without saying any names, we've got to sort of go through the right process with with BBNZ as well uh, to make sure that um, all the all the right boxes are ticked. And obviously a bit of an interesting dynamic with you and Piero both going for the job and having worked together and played together for so long. Um, nice to have him still on board with you. Nice to have him on board. You know, we've been we've been teammates. We've been you know played against each other. Um, you know, this this little I guess bump in the road is, is nothing compared to some of the times that we played against each other. And he was trying to rip my head off, and I was trying to you know run around him and things like that. So um, you know, we've we've been you know. Really, really good friends, uh, more like brothers for geez, 16, 17 years now, maybe more. Um, so although it was really tough for him um, not to be able to get the job, as I said, you know, he was the first person to call me and congratulate me and, and, and uh, give me his you know, 100% support. So um, that, that, was, you know, that was a pretty special moment for me. Four of New Zealand's super rugby teams have shown good early season form, which is encouraging in a World Cup year. One of those to perhaps surprise a little has been the Hurricanes, who started the season with four straight wins. This week they take on the Highlanders, who have scored wins over the Reds, Chiefs and Waratahs. All Black Bowden Barrett has controlled the Hurricanes well this year and says they're not getting carried away by their start, and for them it's just another tough week. We know it's a huge challenge this weekend, playing the Highlanders are in form and obviously a really tough side to beat at home and in the past few years we haven't gone too well against them, so... Um, we're aware of the uh, attacking weapons they have and our defence is going to have to be really good this week. What about uh, sort of the, the lofty heights that you're at though? I mean, what's the uh, confidence in the side? Or, you know, can you put your finger on just the start of the season? Oh, it gives us confidence coming home from South Africa um, from our tour with, with three wins and um, we're just looking to build on our game like there were quite a lot of errors in our game against the Blues. We missed opportunities. The pleasing thing is we're, we're creating them. It's just we have to be a lot more clinical because um, I don't know if we'll get the same amount of opportunities against the Highlanders. Yeah, and, and you're winning too. Yeah, that, that always helps. Um, puts a smile on our faces. Our performances aren't where we'd like to be, but it's it's pleasing to see we're getting the W as well. It's a dangerous back line you come up against in the Highlanders as well. You know They've, they've done some amazing things. Yeah, they are. Um, key is not to give them uh, too many counter-attacking opportunities, quick throw-ins, uh, turnovers, things like that. So we're aware of their threats and um, hopefully we can contain them. What about you personally this year? I mean, have you had uh, challenges or have you felt, you know, coming into 2015? Yeah, certainly um, challenges. Um, any time of the competition, um, obviously just trying to get back into the groove. Uh, you know, it's weak. Round six now, I think, so um, should be hitting our straps. Um, just looking, looking to build on my skill sets. Um, All-round game, really, just looking to maybe run the ball a little bit, just get a little bit more tempo in my game, so um, 
Yeah, that'll come. And the fans are expecting you to kick every goal as well, but how have you felt that's gone? Yeah, uh, a bit shaky at times. Uh, it's continual work on. Um, yeah, for me, it's just trusting my technique and, and staying down. So, um, yeah, looking looking to put that uh, better this week. Have you looked at uh, a little bit further ahead? Because firstly, you are, you know have to have a couple of weeks off at some stage. Um, I don't know what the plan is, but I mean, it's going to be difficult. Oh yeah, it's certainly difficult to. Um, miss out on any game, whether it's misselection or having a stand down or whether it's injury. So I uh, would like to be playing every week, but um, we have to stand down for a couple of games a season. Not too sure when that will happen, but I'd like to do it sooner rather than later, hopefully towards the business end of the, the season. I don't want to be taking games off, so um, we'll make that decision when it when it comes around, catch up with, with Bordy around that. Uh, it's never a good time, I suppose, is there? But uh, have you thought about the World Cup at all? To be, to be honest, like it, it, it's there, but um, you know, just with where we're at as a team, it's a great opportunity. Um, we don't want to get carried away about worry, worrying what's happening in a few months' time. It's just uh, you know, business each day, um, really looking to improve as a team going forward because we have a great opportunity. Um, there has been a little bit of talk that there's uh, the intensity within the New Zealand conference. Uh, can you put your finger on that? Is a little bit more this year has been suggested? Perhaps it is because of the World Cup. Oh, you'd expect that. You'd expect teams to rise because I guess not many positions are guarantees in that All Black squad. So yeah, you have to earn your position. Um, the same happens every year. It's a Super Rugby season's just a trial for that All Black team. And um, while it's a great competition, everyone wants to win. Um, no doubt that black jersey is creeping into a lot of people's minds. Barry Guy speaking to Bowden Barrett. A new survey has revealed a change in the way New Zealanders are participating in sports. The Active NZ survey commissioned by Sport New Zealand has reflected a small increase in participation in sport and recreation, with nearly three quarters of the population taking part in some sort of physical activity each week. However, memberships are continuing to drop at traditional sports clubs, with recreational activities such as jogging, cycling and swimming all gaining popularity. The Chief Executive of Sport New Zealand, Peter Miskimmon, says they're pleased with the results. Well, overall we're pretty pleased as a scorecard. Um, I think what it says is that uh, reinforces again that New Zealand is a, is a very healthy, active uh, country uh, with people that love to play sport and, and the great outdoors. And, and you know, it is bucking a worldwide trend of, of uh, many countries around the world are seeing adult and uh, young people uh, participation dropping. Uh, what we've shown here is that uh, we're holding our own and with adults slightly increasing. So pretty pleasing score overall. What sort of appears to be coming up is maybe a slight change in the way people are participating in sports with sports membership being down at, at clubs and things like that? Yeah, I think what sport's doing is now reflecting, you know, sort of modern society and the way people are, are, are wanting to live their lives. So what we're seeing now is, is a subtle shift away from more formalised competition sport, joining your local uh, club. Uh, we're getting a lot more now of the active recreation, walking, running, uh, biking is, is another big one. You know, taking advantage of all of the, the beautiful natural surroundings we have and, and you know, the cycle and, and walkways that are going in. Uh, things like the fitness gym uh, is growing, um, so people are, are adults certainly are interested in lifestyle and, and being healthy and longevity, uh, and, and tend to go to um, you know to uh, going to the fitness club. So, yep, things are changing. The nature of the way in which we are playing sport and recreating is changing, but 
overall, the, the number is still high, significantly high compared to the rest of the world. But do you think that sort of trends are worry for organised sport in New Zealand? Well, I think it's a, it's a, um, organised sport provides a product and a service that, that lots and lots of New Zealanders still like connecting with. Uh, but I think they need to be aware of what their offerings are, what the, the, the customer or the participant wants, and to be able to change and adapt. So rather than supplying the way they've always supplied it, they need to think a little bit more around what is the demand and, and shaping the sport to meet that demand. But we've seen already seen some of that with, you know, now three-on-three basketball and futsal for football and five-a-side for hockey and, you know, seven-a-side for rugby. We're seeing lots of modified changes uh, and, and people, you know, with sports trying to make it more attractive and, and easier for adults and kids to, to play their sport. I guess we've seen that as well with a sport like golf, which is listed here as being one of the most popular participants participation sports but you go into any golf club they'll tell you their membership's going down so it's all about sort of changing changing the model as people are less likely to commit to things like that yeah that's right so you know it's a really good example of, of uh, you know golf clubs all around the country and we've got a lot of golf clubs and 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 maybe membership is is dropping with that so rather than joining up for the year people might want to do it in a more casual way so what what products what services what opportunities uh, are uh, being presented by clubs and communities to to make sure that you know adults still participate and kids are attracted to that sport. So um, you know, for lots of sports, it's it's a challenge, but uh, a lot of them are taking up that challenge and are really trying to grow their game by adapting their sport to to meet the, the sort of modern lifestyle. And what can you sort of learn from this about what maybe you can do better to sort of encourage even more um, New Zealanders into sport? I think there's a number of things. First and foremost, um, you know, we've got, um, you know, 74% of New Zealand adults uh, doing a sporting activity once a week, and some of them, are, a lot of them are doing, you know, up to three a week. And that's great, but we're also lots of um, adults that aren't. And there are vulnerable communities where the opportunity to play um, sport and be involved in, in uh, sport and recreation is limited. So I think for us, it's, it's, it's understanding those uh, low participant communities. There are certainly uh, areas like um, ethnic groups like uh, Asian are probably our, our lowest participant uh, ethnic group that we need to consider. Uh, women are another one. Men tend to be involved in physical activity and, and sport more than women. So it does point to a number of areas where we need to think a, a little bit about uh, and to ensure that we're working with a whole range of different sporting uh, bodies and organisations to provide more opportunities for those sort of people. What are some of the other factors that determine participation in sport? Is there a socio-economic um, sort of thing as well? Yes, yeah, certainly there's an ethnic one, and certainly with urbanisation now there is, you know, the the, the, um, uh, the there are certainly um, some communities where participation is less, um, be it an expense, uh, be it about opportunity. So th- those are ones that uh, we're interested in. The ethnic one is an interesting one. You know, we've you know, people say, why is our participation in sport and recreation so high compared to the rest of the world? I think that is because we've been brought up as a nation, generation after generation, that's treasured sport, love the outdoors, um, you know, and we value what sport does to the individual and communities and families. And a lot of our heroes have been sporting or recreational people, so Edmund Hillary, Peter Snell, etc., so we've got that heritage, but for a lot of um, immigrants that have come into New Zealand, they come from different ethnic backgrounds, and their value systems around sport may be different. So again, 
you know, we're offering up uh, traditional um, sport of rugby, netball, cricket, and maybe that's not what they want to play. Uh, and so there's a whole range of different uh, offerings that need to be considered to make sure that we're engaging in, in those communities um, to ensure that they have every opportunity part of sport and recreation for life. The Sport New Zealand Chief Executive, Peter Miskimmon. Baseball New Zealand is beginning a worldwide search to unearth new players who might be eligible to play for the national team. After discovering the American Major League success story John Holscomb in their last recruitment drive, they're hoping to find more players with links to New Zealand to form a roster for the World Baseball Classic qualifiers. It's part of a wider plan to promote and develop the game in the country, and the Baseball New Zealand Chief Executive, Ryan Flynn, is hopeful they can surprise a few people, as they did in 2012. We went through this process a few years ago with our first World Baseball Classic, and we really shocked um, the baseball world that, number one, we were even in. We were unranked, which was effectively 72nd in the world to 119th, wherever you wanted to place us. Um, Not really on the radar for anyone, but we showed Major League Baseball and the IBAF, uh, International Baseball Federation in Switzerland, that we did have players around the world and domestically that could play at a high level. And then I think we we shocked the baseball world again by beating the Philippines and Thailand, who were ranked, you know, 50, 60 points higher than us, uh, places higher than us. And we, we took Taiwan, who were fourth in the world at that time. We took them deep into the championship game and had them on their heels, but just ran out of um, horses, if you know what I mean, ran out of pitchers and, and just didn't have the critical mass uh, or the depth that we needed to to uh, take them to the limit. But, um, you know, we're going to go through that same process again and hopefully do it a little bit better. More kids have surfaced who are Kiwi, and more of our kids domestically are playing college uh, baseball and semi-pro ball around the world. So we've got a good group now. And how many players do you sort of expect to unearth that maybe you sort of didn't know about having New Zealand links and things like that? How do you, how do you sort of go about that process? It's a, it's a, it's a, some of it's coincidence and and luck, um, but but by throwing out you know uh, our program, you know we were in the, on Fox Sports the other day through the John John Holtzcomb story with John Paul Morosi, and we we tend to try to put we work with Kia in the past, the online um, New Zealand network of Kiwis around the world, uh, just trying to reach out to everyone. Uh, pockets of New Zealanders around the world trying to find out if they know of anyone who's got Kiwi blood. Uh, Because with the World Baseball Classic, you know, just like many sports around the world at the highest level, if your parents were born here, you have a chance to play for the country. And that happens all over the world. I mean, the United States soccer team is chasing German Americans, you know, over in, in Berlin. And, and that's just the way it works. I mean, look at our rugby programs with our kids from the islands and stuff. So, you know, you, you chase your, your best players wherever they may be. And we just try to put out a cast a wide net and hope that um, we are fortunate, like we were with the Holtzcombs uh, three years ago, three and a half years ago. And we have found two young pitchers, one in South Carolina and one in Texas, who are New Zealanders. And they're 18 pitching in college baseball. They're new. Uh, we did not know about them. And we found a few others. I, I hope we find up to 10 uh, players playing. You know, and, and the way I look at this is it supplements the program 
for a short period of time until you can develop all of your own talent. And, you know, still three quarters of our team will be domestic ballplayers who are playing somewhere or who have played somewhere. But you've got to do what you've got to do to, 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 to prop up a program and get it to where it needs to go and wake people up to how good the country could be. Yeah, is it almost as much about publicity as well? I, I mean, how good's the Holdscombe story been um, from from your perspective on that front? Yeah, it's been a big one. I mean, the fact that he, I guess it wouldn't be a very big story if he didn't catch fire last year and get called up to the Pirates within 65, 70 days. But yeah, I mean, that was a lucky, I, I, I'll never forget when we found one another in 2011, I'd say. Um, I looked him up immediately, found out he was Kiwi, and realized he was six foot nine and could throw 163k. And I, I immediately said, "He said, are you interested?" I said, "Well, I think I think we'd be interested in you." Um, and 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 yeah, that has worked out. And and everything I do um, in our program does is about uh, developing and finding talent and building a program, but on the field. But what we do off the field, you're right, with promotion and marketing and how we showcase the sport uh, because we have so many talented athletes in the country that want to play the game, but we don't always have the resources to attract them and keep them, retain them. So a lot of, a, a lot of PR and media is important for our program to show what we could be if we all work together and, 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 and build a special program in this country. And these players that you approach, the, the Americans who are in college, uh, when you sort of talk to them about the possibility of playing international baseball, do you find that they're, they're pretty receptive to the idea? I mean, obviously, international baseball is not seen as the the pinnacle of the sport or or anything like that. Anybody who I've never encountered one of the players in Australia, Canada, Europe, America who has not been excited about the possibilities and. Once they've played for us at the 21 and under in Tai Chung last year or in the WBC 2012, to a man, they've considered it one of the best experiences of their lives. Even John Holtzcombe was on his couch in Rancho Cucamonga, California, really going, you know, on his last leg at that time, barely holding on. He had been he had Tommy John surgery on his elbow. He was fighting back from that. He had been. Uh, released by the New York Mets, uh, even though he was a fourth round draft pick in 2006. And so I, I think, I think the boys, if they, if they haven't grown up here and a lot of them have, but the ones who haven't quickly understand and connect to their roots, uh, to their family heritage. And it means a lot to them. And I mean, we had players getting New Zealand tattoos after the world baseball classic and they've learned the haka and they understand where their families have come from. And, and, and some of the stories are, are absolutely beautiful. We're not able to tell them in the media because we don't get as much press, but there's some fantastic stories coming out of this. And a lot of these guys now have contributed to this country and to the growth of this program beyond playing for us one time. And, um, I, you know, everyone we've called and, and people chase us too now, where they say, well, it isn't the pinnacle. Major League Baseball is the pinnacle and kids want to play college baseball. But playing in the World Baseball Classic or the Olympics, which we hope to get back into in 2020, is a pretty big deal um, in the grand scheme of things to be able to play at that level. I mean, we, 
you know, we played against a really good Taiwan team and we played against Johnny Damon with the Thailand team. And, and it was a heck of an experience. And we raised a couple hundred thousand dollars and treated these young men like professional baseball players and took care of them and hired a world-class coaching staff with Jay Bell and Daryl Evans. It was a heck of an experience that any ball player would appreciate. That's the Baseball New Zealand Chief Executive, Ryan Flynn. That's the show for this week. Feedback is welcome via sport at radionz.co.nz, while you can find the latest sports news anytime on our website. I'm Alex Coogan-Reeves, and we'll be back with more extra time next week. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.